Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale, providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com slash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, it is the last show of the year. It's also Festivus. Do you have any grievances that you want to air before we before we dive into this last long show of the year? Um, I, I would say the single biggest grievance this year um, is a little bit of like, and it's going to be a theme for our entire show. Um, AI washing, and we're going to probably call it out in predictions. <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything's AI, and all of our predictions. Well, I shouldn't say all. A lot of our predictions are AI, but also too, my single biggest grievance of this year is the emergence of AI washing. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Right now, my biggest. Well, how about you, man? What's yours? Well, right now, my biggest grievance is is not well. It has very little to do with tech. It has everything to do with. Uh, it has been now three weeks that I've been trying to get <clears throat> the title of a car uh, released from probably a really, really old computer system from the bank to the motor vehicle department here in North Carolina. So my, my grievance is with legacy tech. Uh, just <laughs> there is a button somewhere. There is a line of code. There is something. That's my right now. That is the, the bane of my existence. So, well, listen, man, this we is, can just uh, rub some AI on it and it'll be fine. That's though. right. That's right. They put a chat bot on it. I could talk to it and, and plead for it to please send me the title of the document. Listen, we are, uh, this is the year end show. This is the year in review, uh, year end review. Uh, we're gonna do some predictions. Uh, there are in the show notes, we've been doing this. We've been doing this for years. I put the last three or four out there. Um, I can put the, I can probably put the 17, 18, 19 as well. If people want to see, you know, how, how well we've predicted or not predicted, but, uh, sort of last show of the year, we're going to skip, uh, I sort of take the last week off or so, uh, you're going to be traveling some, I could use a few days off. Um, but a couple of things before we, we dive into the second part of the show, which will be the, the long one. Um, second year in a row, we've had 2 million listens. So thank you to everybody for giving us 30 minutes of your week, 60 minutes of your week, whatever it might be. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, thank you to everybody who's been around for a year or 13 years or however long it's been. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, second big thank you is to all the folks who, who sponsor the show and, both uh, because they are great people to work with. Uh, we enjoy working with them. Uh, they make great products. We're very proud of the people that we work with. So real quick, uh, the folks who have been with us literally all year long, Datadog, Cloud Zero, and The Cube, thank you to them. Uh, huge thank you. Uh, big thank you to Cisco Panoptica, Section, Fix the Internet, Sysdig, Doit, Eaton, uh, CNCF, Upland Software, Equinix, Red Hat, CloudFix, G-Core, Cosly, every single one of them basically said, we think your audience is uh, interesting. We think they are people who, you know, want great products. And so if you get a chance uh, and you, you like any of the sponsors, please, you know, reach out, get in touch with them. Uh, they make interesting technologies that should uh, should make your life a little bit easier in the, in the enterprise space. So um, yeah, those are sort of the, the two sort of numbers. I know we usually go over all sorts of other numbers for the show. We kind of stopped keeping track of, of all the uh, you know, VC activity that happened because it feels like the VC activity has sort of slowed down some. We will dive into some VC stuff, but uh, any any initial thoughts on the year before we take a break and dive into the the, the big thoughts for the year? Well, I think the the biggest uh, initial thought for the year, and this will be a, a theme for the show, is this year in some ways almost feels like a transition year. <clears throat> Absolutely, and and we'll talk about that. Absolutely. All right. Well, good. Well, listen, we will get to the year in review and our 2024 predictions after the break. Is your cloud bill out of control? Cloud Zero is building a platform that will let you analyze your cloud investment faster than ever before. You'll get accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend 
without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. CloudZero is how cloud-driven companies gain more financial control and predictability by driving immediate and ongoing savings. You can answer questions like, how can I save 20% of my cloud bill right now? Who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the latest trends in enterprise tech? Look no further than the Breaking Analysis podcast with Dave Vellante. This data-driven program dives into the most important topics facing the enterprise tech industry today. With a data-first approach that leverages ETR's renowned surveys of IT decision makers and insight from the Cube community, Breaking Analysis delivers in-depth research on the most important topics facing technologists and IT buyers. Whether you're a business leader, an IT professional, investor, or just an avid follower of the industry, this podcast is a must-listen. Just search Breaking Analysis Podcast wherever you get your podcast and tune in today to stay ahead of the game in enterprise tech. And we're back. And Aaron, you know, a few months ago, I think it was a few months ago, we we did a show and we said, hey, we are thinking about making some big changes to the Cloudcast. You remember us doing that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we got a good bit of feedback, too, which I, I think was super helpful in, in solidifying uh, some of our assumptions and, and thoughts. Uh, and we, I think, maybe, are we going to call it official? We, we're we ready to announce some uh, some changes and also some things staying the same? Yeah, so we definitely got a lot of feedback. Maybe maybe the most feedback we've ever gotten, uh, which is nice. It, it lets us know that people are listening, people uh, not only care about sort of the format of the show, but I think more importantly, they care about you know, I think when when you find a routine for things and, and something just becomes habit or it becomes part of what you do, oftentimes you you don't want to change or you want you want smaller change. And I think we were we were proposing some fairly big changes. And the reason for that was, you know, we felt like there was a lot of things going on. Maybe we could do a better job covering it for for folks. Um and I think the the biggest feedback we got was, hey, some of those absolutely not. And, and we appreciate that feedback. And others, you know, were more like, "Hey, maybe some subtle tweaks would be would be a good thing." So you want to you want to dive into some of the stuff that that we got feedback on? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, uh, we are going to be sticking with two shows a week. I know we floated the idea of potentially going to three, uh, but I think two. We're just in an era where. Um, Adding that additional show and that additional time without some kind of significant uh, tweak to the you know format of the other two shows just isn't productive or additive right now. Yeah. Um, so that was that one, and then I think the other one too is we talked about you know doing video because a lot of a lot of podcasts these days are at least recording over video, um, and maybe that's just you know more YouTube, uh, more potential reach, but at least for our listeners, and we've kind of always had the tagline, you know, we try and keep it uh, long enough for, you know, walking the dog or mowing the lawn or going for a run or something like that. And overwhelmingly, everyone has said, uh, don't add video yeah. at this time. Yeah. yeah. I think we also heard, um, and, and this was one that, you know, kind of bounced around a little bit. We got various feedback on how long the show should be. You know, we've, we've always said, Hey, it should be about 30 minutes. Sometimes it goes a little bit longer, but again, we were, we were always trying to be conscious of the things that you do repetitively. And so that could be, you know, you work out of the gym in the morning, you take the dog for a walk, you have a morning commute. And a lot of that changed with the pandemic. And that was part of the reason we were thinking, well, <clears throat> you know, we're seeing the rise of longer shows, longer form shows. Maybe, maybe that would be useful. Uh, so, but the feedback we did get from a good number of people was, "Hey, um, it, you know, there are more and more podcasts these days. Uh, I'm happy to, you know, dedicate thirty or thirty five minutes or so, you know, for you know, the cloud technology type of stuff. But I don't know that I want to dedicate sixty minutes or ninety minutes or something. So, definitely heard that loud and clear. Um, <clears throat> we are going to move the. Cloud News of the Week. Uh, so Cloud News of the Week will always still be in the show notes. Uh, you can always find stuff that we we, we think are interesting. We're probably going to, uh, we used to always sort of narrow it to about three because we would kind of keep what would fit in the opening segment. Um, we've been we've been expanding that. So if you look at the link in the show notes that says Cloud News of the Week, you can find 
usually dozens of, of articles and interesting things every week. Uh, we're going to consolidate that to once a month, and we're probably going to do an actual show, uh, look at trends, look at some of those things. So, you know, it allows us to to make sure that, you know, we're hitting the most timely stuff, but we're also not being completely reactionary to headlines and stuff like that. So we're going to do that. And I would also add this too, F- fingers crossed, but not promising anything because, you know, we've been, we're still waiting on the new webpage. Um, we might move to a, a newsletter format for some of the news as well. But that is again in the, the big aspirations yeah, for 2024. We did get a lot of feedback that folks would be, would be open to, to, to good newsletters. It does seem like newsletters are becoming a, a trend again, which is, I, I say that, sort of sheepishly because, you know, the idea of people writing, uh, you know, was blogging, then it was not blogging and now sort of, you know, sort of blogging, but calling it newsletter is, is sort of coming back. So, you know, good chance for us to, you know, have a, a closer relationship with the community. So we're going to do that. Uh, we are going to try and do a little more kind of focus on what, what can you do now? So the things that you're learning about are applicable to now. I think we'd focused a lot on bleeding edge during the last decade or so, even when, when there was just so much new technology, so much VC investment, I think people, you know, people are now at the point where they're like, look, I, I need to get stuff done now. And, and so we're going to try and skew a little more towards that a little less on the, you know, Hey, what's coming in a year or two years. Um, and then you and I are going to do a little more, um, you know, I think we're going to be not only sort of both involved with, uh, you know, kind of two people on the interview type of shows, but also um, some formats where where you and I are involved and we can dive into some things a little bit more. So um, so those are probably the big changes. Um, maybe not. So from, from a listener perspective, still twice a week, still Wednesday and Sunday, um, some of the formats will change. Um, we're going to try and give you a little more guidance as to, you know, when big topics, multi-show topics are coming, things like that. So uh, not as many changes as, as we had proposed, but, uh, you know, listening to the audience and, and appreciate all your feedback telling us, hey, do this, don't do that. Um, we, you know, we like this, we don't like that idea. And so we're going to incorporate that for 2024. Yep. Well, listen, um, let's dive into, <clears throat> let's dive into the sort of the big news. And and if you get the show notes, uh, and I always say, you know, take a look at the show notes, just because it gives you a sense of kind of the way that we organized our thoughts. Um, I went through and I pulled last year's show notes for the the year end review. And as I, as I was sort of copying them over just to kind of give myself initially a template, I was like, boy, a lot of the things that we talked about at the end of last year, and then we look at them here this year, usually what would happen from year to year for the last 10 plus years is the things were really, really different, right? Like we could go, oh, let's look at 2017 to 2018 or 20, you know, 20 to 21 or whatever. And there was almost no overlap. It was like, oh yeah, those things were a year ago. And this year it feels like, and I'll, I'll just run through a few and you can grab a few. It feels like the things that were sort of the big deal for last year or at the end of last year even just sort of have minor updates and, or have, you know, some, some interesting updates, but they're still kind of the main topics. Um, and I don't know if, if, you know, as you mentioned at the top of the show, this signals, the beginning of a of a slowing down type of era or just a new era or what it might be. But let me let me run through the few first couple that we had for last year. So uh, we ended last year, uh, unfortunately, second half of the year, a whole bunch of layoffs. Um, that slowed in 2023, uh, but we did sort of begin 2023. It's, that sort of flattened itself out. Um, and I get, real quick on that one too, I, I read an article just the other day about the tech layoffs specifically, and it was basically January... In February, the layoffs in January and February equaled the entire rest of the year. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, that, that definitely slowed. And that was good to see. And, of course, you're going to see some outliers like the VMware Broadcom that we'll talk about next. But I don't think we're quite done yet, but I definitely think the worst is over, which is a, a very good thing I'm thankful for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and 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 it, I think it accomplished, uh, and, and I say this, you know, with, with, all, with all sort of sympathy for folks who were affected, but... It sort of accomplished the things that that the corporations wanted, which was, hey, we had a big run up in the stock price through through at least parts of COVID. Uh, COVID started to sort of reside, recede. Um, people were like, oh, maybe tech won't be used as much. Uh, tech had sort of realized they had overhired in in many many cases, and we saw sort of the stock of of tech in general kind of come roaring back in 2023. So, you know, it, as much as people dislike that, um, you know the. 
the ability to use hiring and, and, and unfortunately layoffs to, to dictate sort of financials of the company, um, people are always going to be the most, you know, probably the most costly asset. Now that might change with GPUs in the future, but, um, you know, it, it, it served its purpose from a corporate perspective, whether, you know, whether people like that or not, that it did what it, it did, what it you know was intended to do. So, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about Broadcom and VMware. So VMware this time, Last year, uh, VMware was under the impression that like this thing was going to close very quickly. Broadcom had made the sixty-plus billion-dollar acquisition of them, um, and then this whole year was just wait and see. And where where do you see it now? I mean, it just just finally closed. It took more than a year to close. Where do you see sort of Broadcom and VMware today? Well, and in speaking with a, a bunch of friends that are, are over uh, at VMware and now Broadcom. And some that weren't brought over as well. I think the biggest thing I see for the next year, and by the way, too, like this is name name other companies that say maybe went you know big companies that went PE like Citrix you know, comes to mind as well. Um, they they basically spend the next six to nine months figuring out what to do and how to do it. Um, you know who's brought over, who's not brought over. I, I just think there's a lot of um, inefficiency. Uh, as they kind of reorganize the house and and move forward into the Broadcom area era, uh, none of that happens overnight. And and that's not you know that's not a knock against VMware. That's any big acquisition like this is going to have a little bit of chaos and and settling back down period. Yeah, yeah. It it feels like it feels like there's there's going to be three or four conversations that everybody's going to talk about with VMware. One is going to be. Uh, you know, they they sort of, you know, they did a whole bunch of big layoffs. That seems to be mostly done. Again, uh, you know, we, we feel for anybody who was impacted by that. It did seem to be signal that that was definitely coming. So I, I doubt it surprised anybody. Uh, you know, that was, I mean, Broadcom have been talking about that since they initially, you know, talked about, you know, how much, how much revenue per employee they expected to be, right? The second is which products are going to stick around and how much investment will they make in innovation? And so it seems like they've made their first pass at, look, th- these are the products that are sticking around. It seems like it's very much the core infrastructure products. You know, they're, you know, v- VMware, VMware Cloud Foundation or VMware mm-hmm. Foundation, right, yep. which is that they've already started to sort of um, at least signal to the market that certain products aren't sticking around. So virtual desktop VDI and some of the security stuff is sort of out. Um, so, you know, so they're going to have, they're going to have to have a lot of conversations with people about Hey, what about things like Tanzu and other stuff that doesn't necessarily fit in core compute storage networking? Um, like you said, I mean, if it's a year, it'll be fast in terms of how do all the internal reorganizations happen? How do all the power struggles happen? How do, how do new things work and all that kind of stuff? I mean, if, it, if it's a year, I mean, you've been through some of these. I've been through some of these like a year would be unbelievably fast. I, I'd be surprised if it doesn't sort of drag on for you know eighteen months to twenty four months. Um, that yeah, seems fair. To be pretty normal. And then the last piece is obviously you know it's going to be all about you know pricing. And you and I were actually having a conversation you know before we before we click the record button. Um, they have already announced they are moving from perpetual licensing. Perpetual licensing goes away. Everything going forward will be subscription licensing. And in most cases that. Uh, you know, drives up the cost uh, for customers, right? It, it drives revenue for the business, but it also drives up the cost for customers because, um, you know, they're being asked to pay more on a more frequent basis. And so, you know, that's that's going to have the downstream ramifications for the rest of the market to go, oh, you know, maybe, um, and, you know, people are skeptical about this, but like maybe, you know, VMware will now price itself out of owning the virtualization market and other other options, other alternatives might have a chance to come in, um, you know, and you're starting to hear those stories a little bit around the fringes, like, oh, so-and-so is considering moving and so forth. But that's, you know, I, to me, those are the, the four biggest things that, that everything is going to kind of get written about for the next year with, with VMware and, and uh, until, you know, until revenue numbers start to come out and stuff. Agreed. So next, let's talk about chips, which is something we haven't talked about chips, in a while. Chips, chips, chips. chips are cool again, right? Yeah, like silicon's of, cool again. Lots of heart. Well, it's, and I and I don't. You keep up. I think this a little more than I do. I, I feel like there's, you know, the x86 race is is kind of gotten again more commoditized. It feels like it feels like it used to be Intel, all Intel. Intel's kind of in weird financial situations now. Um, you know, Pat Gelsinger has a lot on his plate. 
Um, arm seems to be growing, but then it can't necessarily figure out, you know, if it's its own independent entity, is it going to go IPO? Uh, you know, so the, the future of arm as a, as a, as an entity seems strong, but the future of the company arm seems somewhat undecided. And then there's NVIDIA. <laughs> yeah. There's <clears throat> NVIDIA. How do you, how are, how are you thinking about all the chip stuff? Because there's, there's both all the financial stuff which is going on, but then there's there's a lot of really super powerful technology going on. Yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll talk about NVIDIA first. I definitely see, I mean, because everyone kind of knows, like, it's almost a single-threaded bottleneck that you know, all GPUs right now go through NVIDIA. And this goes into our, you know, what will be our predictions later on that can't be sustainable forever to have one company with all the the big GPUs. And so you've got, you know, Intel with coming out with stuff. You've got uh, AMD coming out with stuff. You've got um, other technologies that, you know, aren't necessarily as dependent on GPUs. And, and so NVIDIA is absolutely the bell of the ball right now. Uh, but I just think the industry in general starts to move away from NVIDIA specific GPUs. That doesn't mean they move away from GPUs, but I think you will start to see more purpose-built things. You'll start to see other entrants into the market. I I don't think NVIDIA's dominance uh, can last forever. And it's not because they're a bad company. They're a fantastic company. It's just simply because supply and demand will outstrip any one company. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and I'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. You, you, uh, turned me on to the, I think it was the Acquired podcast. Mm-hmm. Dude, huge, huge series. I finally got, I mean, I literally, the only time in my life I listened to like a three hour podcast, it was all about, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of the ecosystem of NVIDIA, how they kind of got where they were. There was a couple of follow ups with Jensen, Jensen Huang. Um, fascinating stuff. Uh, like you said, it's, it's really interesting because they've, they've built, a humongous ecosystem around it, right? They're not, they're not sort of uh, like an Intel or an AMD as where they mostly are building just the hardware. They've built a software ecosystem around it. They've built a, a networking architecture around it. I mean, essentially sort of an, an entire data center kind of system around it, you know, the ultimate lock-in, if you will. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really interesting because I, I look, last year we were talking about NVIDIA in the context of uh-oh, you know, they tried to make a bold move to try and acquire ARM. It fell through. It didn't meet all the regulatory stuff. And then, you know, because crypto essentially collapsed over the last year and they were able to write off all of the all of their assets, all of their hardware assets for the year, and then ChatGPT comes along and everybody wants GPUs, they get this massive, massive, at least financial gain and all of a sudden, you know, they look, you know, I mean, Jensen Wong is, is showing up as the the superhero at every single keynote. It was an amazing 12-month turnaround, you know, just in terms of headlines, not in terms of their whole strategy. But, I mean, last year we weren't talking about them as the choke point for, for AI. We were talking about them as, <laughs> oh, my God, they, they didn't make it. You know, our arm fell through. So, you know, does that, does that leave them a hole in their strategy? Unbelievable how much, yeah. one, you know, how much one application can change, you know, somebody else's application can change your, your destiny. Yeah, and we and we usually talk about the hyperscalers, and we'll probably talk about those next. But I, I mean, Nvidia. I think you know, if we're going to give out informal awards here, and Nvidia gets the award for you know single biggest movement in a one you know one year period, next oh, yeah. to maybe AWS in the early days, right? Yeah. Like as far as impact on our industry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They win. They win MVP, Player of the Year. You know, all those sort of comeback, <laughs> comeback Player of the Year. They win all the awards. <laughs> you know, speaking of the speaking of the hyperscalers, I I can't remember a year. No, I mean, you know, we we just recorded a show that, that will come out before this one about uh, about sort of Microsoft's involvement with with OpenAI and some stuff. But I can't remember a year when we talked less about non-AI stuff with the cloud providers. I mean, it, it felt like the cloud providers, you know, they existed, um, they grew, uh, their growth rate for the most part across the board was lower than it's been for a while. Um, you know, congratulations to, to GCP. They, they are now finally profitable, at least by a, by a small margin. So, you know, that was news. But, you know, in general, it didn't feel like, at least on mainstream cloud stuff, that, that the cloud providers made a lot of headlines this year. 
I mean, does that did you did you feel that way this year? We we didn't, I, I, you know. I mean, their numbers are their numbers are where they are. I mean, Amazon, you know, AWS is almost a hundred billion dollar revenue thing. Um, Azure, by, by our best guess, is roughly sixty five billion. You know, give or take, yeah. they do accounting, and and Google is like thirty four billion. So they're you know, it's sort of half as big as the next one um, to the next one. So I mean, there's clear distinction, but it didn't feel like people were like, oh wow, what outside of the AI space. Yeah. Well, I'll also I'll add this before I go into more. It, it's amazing to me that it took GCP thirty four billion to break even. Yeah. <laughs> Especially given that they love to talk about, hey, we're we're built on top of the Google infrastructure. Right. 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 Like, uh, like that. That to me was a, the you know. I just wanted to point that out as like the things that make me go, wow. Okay, really. Yeah. But it also gives you an idea too. Um, you know, in this cloud space, like why why are we not seeing necessarily any uh, anyone else, or or why are we not seeing big movement year to year? Like it, you know, in the early days, we'd be like, oh, the, you know, so and so's first, and so and so's second, and so and so's third, and they're you know, and then it kind of solidified over time, but. I don't know the last time we've ever seen major movement in, say, the top five. No, I mean Oracle. Oracle has done a few little things to to sort of. I mean, they've they've probably climbed up the ladder the most of anybody from sort of non-existent to sort of existent. And I feel like they've done that by some you know big headline stuff, right? They've you know they're they're the only ones willing to sort of cut their prices on networking or you know they're trying to buy TikTok's traffic or whatever it was. But yeah, it's I mean the, the now that now that you mentioned it in, in the thirty four billion dollar category, like I, I think I think back to that series of shows I did the last few months about sort of the history of the cloud eras, and I think I think AWS. And I'll have to go back and look. You know, when they first announced their numbers and then them being profitable and so forth, I want to say they were maybe maybe like three or four billion dollars for you know maybe four or five billion dollars, and they had made like their first billion dollars in profitability. Right. Um, and so it, it, you know, if you think back on that, you go, oh, wow, they only needed like $5 billion to show a profit on it. But, you know, as we think about it now, right, like the, I mean, the biggest thing from all the cloud providers among, amongst any news stories was how every single one of them, you know, in their, in their earnings statements to the street was like, all of our customers are optimizing. Essentially, every one of our customers is, is cutting costs and they're trying to optimize the cloud. And I guess if I think back on it, you know, as much as Microsoft or as much as AWS talked about like, hey, we're all about builders, we're all about builders, a lot of their kind of accelerated growth wasn't so much that they found the next, you know, superstar, you know, consumer SaaS company. It was like people are just lifting and shifting VMs into the cloud, right? They are leveraging infrastructure services that are the same repetitive stuff. Um without any concern for how to do it. And so AWS was able to be highly, highly profitable on infrastructure. And the other ones just didn't, you know, didn't either have the scale or couldn't do that. And they, you know, they were trying to become profitable on app level services and the customizations that go with that and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that first mover status was was super important. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And while we're talking about AWS, let's talk about Adam for a little while and the changing of the guard. Um, like for me, it's, it's super interesting. And we actually talked about this on the last show with Brandon, how different it feels these days. Um, it, and maybe this is part of this larger transition trend we're talking about right now. This really does feel like, um, somebody that was brought in uh, it almost is a little bit like the apple you know when tim cook came in kind of thing it's like hey let's get the operations folks to come in let's get the folks that are like not going to shake it up too bad just you know get as much profit o- about it going forward and then all of a sudden ai comes along and is adam the right person for an you know a big shift in the market and a big shift in their offerings i'm not picking on adam uh, anybody like i just think like you, you they kind of picked a ceo because they kind of saw this you know peacetime coming if you will and this time to like hey we're number one and we need to now really just work on getting better margins about all of this stuff going forward and then ai kind of upended the market and i don't think they saw that coming yeah, no, I I would agree. I I think I talked about this on one of the earlier shows. I mean, it's 
like you said, the 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 leader of the of the organization always gets all the you know gets more kudos than they deserve, and they get more blame than they deserve. But you know that's the nature of of being in the big seat. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think they. It feels like to a certain extent uh, they they had an incredible run as the innovator, and and while they still innovate and there's still you know stuff that comes out. You know when I look at when I look at the list of like new capabilities that pop out from from AWS, you know, it feels very much like, you know, kind of what they call the old guard. Oh, it's a, you know, it's a lot of just, you know, incremental features on top of the things that are pretty stable and make a lot of money and, and do well. And that's, and that's fine. But yeah, I mean, there is distinctly a difference between being the leader who has operational expertise and being the leader who is, you know, somebody who has experience taking risk and being an innovator and, you know, again, I don't know how much of that's on Adam. I don't know how much of that is, you know, Andy still has plays a role in kind of shaping where they're going. Um, Amazon, you know, big company, Amazon has its own share of challenges that I'm sure take up lots of Andy's time. But yeah, it, it, it just feels like a very different company than, you know, even two, three, four years ago. Um, but it, it, you know, it definitely has felt different since he's been there. And again, how much of that he's influenced, how much of it that's the nature of the market, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it it doesn't it feels they've it felt very flat footed with AW with with AI. And it feels like, you know, at least from some of the rumors you hear, they are trying to spread it on everything and it's it's not necessarily jiving with, you know, with people internally. Agreed. Yep. Um, we had a, we had a note in last year's thing. Uh, we said, you know, between text and images, AI seems to be making a big leap. <laughs> this was, this <laughs> and that was that was one month into yeah, think, OpenAI and, and ChatGPT coming out, right? Because like yeah. we recorded in December, and ChatGPT was like a couple weeks old. Right. Yeah, that was there, and then sort of like Dolly and Stable Diffusion was sort of popping yeah. up like on the iPhone and. And we were like, oh man, there's some stuff going on. <laughs> and then, and then ChatGPT just, I mean, explosion. I mean, every single day, it, you know, you, you see, oh, there's, there's 10 new startups that are doing a thing. And, and that, you know, that in and of itself it will be very interesting because it, it does seem like there, we have not yet begun to see the, the culling of the, oh, I'm just a, I'm just an app on top of their API. Right. Remember, remember the way yeah. we used to go to remember the way we used to go to reinvent, and the joke was always like, "I can't wait for the reinvent keynote to see how many of these platinum sponsors won't be around next year because AWS yep. is going to." You know, it does feel like that's going to be the case. You know, with with these platforms, right? Like we kind of expect OpenAI is going to do this to their ecosystem to a certain extent, um, just like AWS did. Um, you know, and that that one's going to be very interesting. But yeah, it's amazing how quick it's flipped from that ecosystem to this other ecosystem. Agreed. Uh, absolutely. And <clears throat> the other thing I would add to that is, you know, and we kind of mentioned it when we said text and images, but like the whole concept of multimodal. Yeah. I mean, that is, you know, going to be the single biggest thing going forward. And yeah, so you, you see demos, some of the demos may have been faked, uh, looking at you, Google. Uh, but some of the multimodal stuff going forward is going to be the next big area. It's going to be super interesting for this right. year. Right. Um, the last one, I'll, the last one I'll hit on, on the like, Hey, last year feels like this year. And then we'll dive into sort of what was new this year. Um, I have in the notes, Docker 2.0 is making money. And now if we get to the end of 2023, Docker 2.0 is back to taking money again at a $2 billion valuation. Remember yeah. when we used to talk about Docker in the billion dollar valuation. And we're like, I hope they take that offer. Yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of have to wonder if we're giving out awards like we did for NVIDIA, um, a uh, Docker gets an award. Oh yeah. Come, come back, come back player <laughs> of the year. Award. I, I mean, the, the, the fact that they've, you know, whatever their, whatever their actual revenues are, I think they're, they're now claiming ARR of like a hundred million dollars, you know, on what feels like Docker desktop for the most part. Um, you know, it, what, what's apparently like a $5 a month thing. If, you know, I, I guess to a certain extent, like that's awesome because it, it sort of says there are enough developers doing stuff with containers that it's become mainstream. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. a hundred million dollar ARR, no, you're not the next Microsoft. Like you haven't, you know, dominated the office market, but that's a lot of money for a developer product. 
um, that that seems to be growing enough that people are investing at you at a two billion dollar valuation. Um, so I, I feel like there's there's goodness in that in terms of like containers are probably becoming pretty mainstream. And at the same time, I'm sort of like, oh, Docker, haven't you seen this movie before? Like, do you really <laughs> think you want to be a X billion dollar valuation? Do you remember what happens? But it doesn't. It doesn't feel like this time they really have to deal with the community. It feels like it's just like, yeah, we're just Docker and we have our own Docker software, but it doesn't feel like they have the same kind of conflict with the community they had back when, you know, it was Solomon and a $3 billion valuation. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's something, you know, that remember that thought when we talk about HashiCorp. <laughs> yeah, absolutely 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 well listen let's let's dive into the what what sort of new for uh 2023 and for anybody who's anybody who's listening again I'll, I'll give a plug for uh cloud news of the week most of you probably just skip it if you know you probably hear aaron do cloud news of the week at the beginning of shows um in the link of the show notes which will be in your podcast player whichever one you use there will every week be a thing that says cloud news of the week. And if you click on that, not only will it show you the things that we're typically talking about, but we just keep it as a running document throughout the year. And actually we've been running it for, for many years. So if you ever want to go back and be like, Hey, you know, let me, let me, let me do my own summary of 2023. Uh, go, go take a look at cloud news of the week. It will give you tons and tons of, of stuff to look at. And if nothing else, it gives you a good sense of like, Oh, Okay how much changed throughout the year, how fast did things change? You know, what were some of the things that I, I didn't even know happened? Um, so good, good resource. If you're uh, trying to catch up on stuff or do research, Aaron, what do you got for, for 2023? Anything interesting happened this year? Well, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. Um, and, and actually we probably don't even need to talk about it all that much, but Hey, guess what? AI happened. Yeah. Uh, this year, <laughs> but I, I will say this, it was interesting to me. Um, to relate the next topic together with it. Um, it was interesting to me how quickly crypto cratered and how much of the rise of AI was, of course, ChatGPT, but how much of that was also you had a bunch of VCs that needed somewhere to put some money and crypto was imploding. And like, you know, how much of that is just like the 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 complimentary one fell off and the other one rose to prominence. Like I'm still not, I, I don't want to say it's AI washing, but I will say it, it was amazing to me how quickly the VC markets kind of mm. very quickly pivoted from one topic to another topic. Yeah. I, I, I feel like timing wise, it's easy to connect the two of them together. And so the things we have in our notes, 2023 was the year of AI. 2023 was the year of crypto goes to jail. And, you know, so it's easy to, I think it's easy to sort of say, oh, you can connect the dots on those things because both of them were, you know, super compute intensive types of things. They were using GPUs. I I, kind of feel like they, that's just coincidental in that, in that two things. One, you're right. The, the, you know, Silicon Valley fell in love with the idea of we are going to you know, we're going to reshape the economy as they like to do with with everything. They want to sort of reshape the world. That sort of blew up in their face um, to a certain extent. You know, they they sort of deserved it because they they were the hype machine for that thing, right? They were they were creating the hype. I feel like the AI thing has has been in the making for 10, 15, 20 years. And we just now, I mean, part of it is, you know, some of the technologies evolved, like we talked about on the on the AI show, like the Transformer paper and, and how large language models have sort of evolved. But, you know, companies like Google and others have been hoarding data for a decade now. Um, you know, they've been hoarding data scientists for a decade now. And somebody just finally put a user interface on it, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, like, to a certain extent, like, it's a little bit or a lot kind of like the iPhone moment, right? It wasn't like people were like, oh, mobile phones. It was like, oh, no, no, computing in my pocket with an interface that's useful, right? Like you put the internet in my pocket, not a mobile phone in my pocket. And I feel like ChatGPT was, oh my God, you put an interface on this thing that was, you know, a back room, you know, complete black box. Nobody has any idea what it could be used for. It's only useful if you know the right Python syntax to do whatever. And it was like, no, the user interface is English and pictures and, you know, put a napkin in front. Like 
that to me was, you know, 15 years in the making, 20 years in the making. And it just so happened to happen as soon as the crypto stuff blew up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it wasn't entirely dependent on Silicon Valley VC money, at least the same that was going after crypto. Those guys just all went scurrying because all of a sudden it was like, oh, shit, crypto's crypto's screwed. We need to go <laughs> over and be on this next wave. Um, so, so I, and also too, like we've talked a lot about ChatGPT and, and OpenAI and Microsoft. And those are definitely big topics for this year, but we kind of covered them on the previous show. So I wanted to skip ahead and let's talk about some of the non-AI big things that happen. Cisco bought Splunk. Yeah, $28, uh, $28 billion. That's a $28 billion acquisition that, what what did it get? One day of run, two, day of, two days of run in terms of headlines? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, one of the biggest acquisitions of the year and it was kind of a blip, right? New Relic got bought for 6.5 billion. Also, again, like barely made the yeah, news. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's put those in perspective. So, so $28 billion, Cisco buys Splunk. Uh, IBM bought Red Hat for $34 billion. That got talked about for months and months and months, right? New Relic got bought for six and a half billion dollars. Microsoft bought GitHub for seven billion dollars. Yeah, right. So you know everything's relative, and you know you can you can talk about inflation, but I don't know. It, it yeah, it was interesting that those two things, and I guess maybe it's because people aren't that enamored with with observability and monitoring. But God, there is so much money in that stuff. Um, and it's, you know, it's essentially sort of the consolidation of those markets, although not under one company, um, although Cisco now does have several monitoring and observability companies. But uh, yeah, interesting to see that that chunk of the market, you know, keeps trying to compete against Datadog and they do well enough to be valuable, but none of them have, have sort of overtaken Datadog. Yep. Yep. And it's amazing to me how... Um, how do I put this? I, I don't want to say undervalued because that goes to like a financial value, but underappreciated this segment of the market is, uh, you know, for the folks that are out there, how, how big of an impact this category of software makes in day-to-day -day operations you know, throughout the world. Uh, it, I mean, it's just amazing to me. Like, again, it's that, that non-sexy <laughs> stuff. But here we are, you know, it is getting some big prices. Well, and it, and it also highlights, so you and I joked around to a certain extent, uh, you know, as we were talking about some of the, like the future of the Cloudcast stuff, like, you know, certain aspects of cloud have just sort of become a feature, right? Mm -hmm. Like it used to be, it was, it was this huge monumental change and cloud was this radical thing. I mean, if you think about it, you know, back when you and I were sort of doing operation stuff, which has been a little while now, um, you know, you didn't, you didn't store everything. You didn't log everything. You didn't. And nowadays, the, the price of, of storing data versus the ability for you at some point to use that data to unlock insight, value, time to market, whatever, the, the economics of that have changed so much. And part of that's just because the price of like cloud storage or S3 compatible storage or object storage is so cheap that you know, these companies are now ridiculously valued because people yeah. just have said, log everything, store everything. At some point, we'll run some sort of intelligent application on top of it. Um, but don't think twice about storing too much, um, or yep. at least, you know, to to a certain extent, right? Every, you know, the, we have seen the the people saying like, look, I'm only storing three copies of my, of my Snowflake in, in terms of, instead of five copies. But they're not saying I'm not storing any copies. They're just like, yeah. you know. So that, that to me is another one of those sort of inflection points of like, oh yeah, uh, super cheap cloud scalable storage is now just, it's just a feature. It's not a, you know, it's a, it's a feature of some bigger system. Yep. Agreed. Let's talk about one more big trend before we get into our predictions. Um, let's talk about HashiCorp um, and not just about HashiCorp specifically, but the ramifications of, I mean, is, is this another potential transition with licensing models for open source going forward. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, it, it's the thing I've talked about, you know, a million times, like, you know, wh whenever there's, there's economic changes, they always seem to, to be impacted by, you know, interest rates and stuff. And I think we went through a decade of literally zero interest rates, which meant that VCs had 
nearly unlimited funding. They funded a ton of, you know, people starting who had started an open source project, wanted to commercialize it. They would give them huge long run rate runways to figure out, you know, could you figure out a business model? Um, forever and ever, we heard people say, well, you could do the Red Hat model, but nobody else can do the Red Hat model. And so, you know, they, they dragged on being an open source company, some, you know, and this isn't HashiCorp specific, but they dragged on being an open source company trying to figure out how do I monetize this thing? And some of them did, and some of them went open core and some of them, you know, that worked in some cases and some cases it was, and Hashi just said, nope, (laughs) we're, we're changing it. We're not. We're not going to allow the cloud providers to compete against us, and we're going to completely change our model. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think to a certain extent, it is a tipping point in how companies that we thought of as open source would monetize themselves. I don't know if it's going to be the tipping point, or if it just happens to coincide with the fact that we just ended a decade of basically free money, and you didn't have to be as, you know, kind of rigorous about your business um, as maybe you would have when interest rates are four or five or six or 7% or whatever is, you know, kind of normal in most normal times. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I think HashiCorp is going to get, is going to be looked back at as, you know, sort of the, the ultimate bad guy in this thing because, not because they changed their model, because, the, you know, plenty of companies have done that before. I mean, MongoDB did that and they've, people have, don't, don't chastise them. <laughs> Their CEO came out a bunch of times, whether it was intended to be leaked or not leaked, and he was just basically like, "Yeah, we we plan to bait and switch everybody. You know, we've been we've been planning this for years. We we're just going to pull the rug out from underneath them." And for that, you know, that's sort of unfortunate because all the good work that that uh, that uh, you know Mitchell and Kevin and and Armand and all the folks at HashiCorp had done for years essentially just gets trashed immediately yeah which is yeah that's unfortunate i i, I saw that mitchell uh officially announced he was he was moving on from HashiCorp, and uh hopefully hopefully doing the thing we always say which is like when you make a lot of money go off and find a beach don't you don't need to start another company go find a beach and i from what i understand he's he's finding beaches and planes and, and doing fun stuff but uh yeah hashi hashi will be a cautionary tale of you know you have done a lot of damage to the open source community of of sort of trust for yeah. you know that that's going to be hard for the rest of the community to deal with. Agreed. Agreed. So, I don't know. It's it's a complex issue, man. It's you know, it's it 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 does come back to the that the ultimate question of like, okay, Red Hat figured it out and whether people like Red Hat or don't like Red Hat, whatever. Red Hat figured it out and everybody has just said you can't follow the Red Hat model, but yet nobody tries to sort of follow the Red Hat model. So it's you know, I guess you're a unicorn because nobody else believes you, but yet you still make more money than anybody who's tried any other model. So it's that that will be the forever the the great kind of question of of open source to to monetization. Agreed. So. <laughs> it's a good point. I don't, I don't know how to explain point. it any different. Yeah. I, I did hear I did I will say this. I did hear a really interesting podcast. Uh the the folks Oxide. I don't know if you've heard of Oxide. Oxide I have not. I have not. Oxide is um a bunch of former Sun engineers who eventually became, do you remember Joyent? Yeah. There, there was a sort of a uh, small cloud provider called Joyent. So uh, Brian Cantrell and a bunch of- Ed Seipich and- yeah. Uh, yeah, but no, but most of these guys are like the the people who invented all kinds of cool Unix stuff at Sun. And then they uh-huh. and they took that and they built Joyent. And they've, they've built a lot of cool stuff, but it's always been kind of- their own semi-proprietary flavor of the stuff. Anyways, long story short, Oxide is a company that a few weeks ago uh, they've been they've been trying for multiple years now to basically build um, what they call a cloud computer. So think think of it like this way: you'll understand this. Imagine that when VBlocks came out, for those of you who remember that, except the software on top of it wasn't all proprietary; it was all open source. But the hardware components and how you operate it was all kind of one gigantic system. So they built that. Anyways, long story short, uh, there's an interesting podcast they had recently with Adam Jacobs, and both sides were sort of arguing the, you know, can you commercialize a company? And Adam Jacobs is famously the guy who who started Chef. Um, we recently had him on. He um, started a new company called System Initiative. Adam is the only person I've seen who argues that like the Red Hat model 
works if you would follow it. And everybody else in the podcast is like, no, that's crazy. It was unique. It never can happen again. So if you're interested in a, a long-winded uh, conversation about it, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Nice. So. Nice. Um, well, listen. Um, Let's do some predictions, man. Yeah, we've been going for 45 minutes. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go? For, well, yeah, no, absolutely. I'll go first. Yeah. yeah, we'll go back and forth. Um, so my number one, um, and and it's interesting because you know, we're talking about hyperscalers. We're talking about hyperscalers and their lack of placements. And we're talking about how much money it becomes to be, be profitable. I think at some point, you can't have, you know, the natural S curve and these categories of these hyperscalers and the big cloud providers. I don't think it can last forever. And I think at some point we're going to start to see somebody throw in the towel. That's, you know, not number one or number two, obviously, but we're going to start to see the lower end of that market start to divest. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's, I mean, we've said for a long time, like, is is GCP really something that, that Google should be in? Um, you know, like on one hand you look at it and you go, gosh, they know how to do lots of technology, but at the same time, like, yeah, how long can you be number three, especially if you spent $34 billion getting to profitability, right? Like no, no regular business would ever have that happen. Um, yeah, it it is going to be interesting. I mean, I guess the one ACE they have up their sleeve is they're still pretty good as far as we know at AI and maybe AI is the next trend. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think that's always a good, a good one to put out there as like, you know, can, can the world sustain? I mean, cause in most categories you can't sustain three, right? We always say like, there's a, there's a, there's a best, there's a fast follower. And then there's sort of this long tail, um, you know, can it sustain three? I don't know. We, we say it every year. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how much money Google really has. But uh, but I just think, you know, with a combination of like, hey, lots of folks want GPUs. GPUs are expensive. You know, building out that yeah. at scale yeah. uh, combined with uh, interest rates like we've talked about many times. I just think it's, you know, I, I think it's time that patience is going to be running out for some of the smaller players in the market. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're beyond that, that three, yeah, I, it's... It's going to be tough, especially now that interest rates are higher. Yep. Uh, my first prediction, uh, pretty simple one, is I think, you know, so this last year we we allegedly had 100 million people using ChatGPT. I think we're going to see the first 500 million user service, and I don't know that it's necessarily going to be ChatGPT. I, I think there will be yet another one, and I don't know that it's necessarily going to come from OpenAI. I think this is going to be the year we're going to see, you know, the the sort of Instagram of, of AI applications, right? The thing that mm-hmm. just... You know, they figure out some human emotion, some human sort of basic thing, and and they're going to figure out a way to put a cool AI interface on it, and it will sort of take off like ChatGPT did. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it it, it is a little bit of like evolving and taking that that chat prompt and taking it to the next level and actually turning it into some kind of application um, yeah. that is using you know the if you ever read the book hooked, you know, the hooked product philosophy of, you know, always trying to get attention and some of these other things that, you know, some of the companies have done very well and sometimes maybe not to the betterment of society over the years with social media, (laughs) but, but yeah, think of a a combination of AI and Instagram is definitely something to consider. I think both of you have, both of us have the, have the same sort of thing next on our list, which is we think, whether it's through uh, you know compact models or open source or specialized chips, I think we both expect to see some sort of interesting shift in the economics of how AI is delivered. Right, right now it's you know largest of large language models. We keep hearing around about bigger ones coming out, and then you know super dependencies on on GPUs and and super dependencies on high end networking. I feel like like, and you've mentioned it, I've mentioned it, like that can't continue forever, right? Like every trend in computing has always broken through a lower economic price point to, to get to mass scale. I feel like we, we're going to have to see that happen pretty quickly. Yes. Yes. And, and I, um, I'll add to that too. Yeah. You look at where the, the new models are advancing, we're already starting to see a slowdown. Um, and, and as far as, you know, training on more and more parameters, you're starting to see a slowdown. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's everyone now understands conceptually 
how to how we had success with the first one. Now I think the optimization stage of everything kicks in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last one I've got. Uh, I'm gonna kind of combine two together. Um, you know, we, we went through twenty. 2020 through 2022, uh, everything was, hey, every week is, hey, new new company gets funding, new company is a unicorn. Uh, you know, funding rounds are going to be even more difficult, especially if you are not AI-centric, right? Like we've been talking about that for a little while now. Uh, I think we are going to see, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 former unicorn companies uh, get acquired. And I think they're going to get snapped up. I, I think a lot of them are going to be wrapping some sort of AI capability around their product, right? Whether they were intended, you know, they could be a service mesh company or they could be a security, you know, software supply company. They're going to wrap some sort of AA, uh, some sort of LLM similar to like, um, you know, I've seen Honeycomb do this. I've seen Ansible, Red Hat Ansible do this. I've seen, uh, you know, a bunch of companies doing this. Um, you know, they're, they're putting, you know, an AI feature on there to make their product simpler. I think that's going to be the catalyst for a whole bunch of them getting acquired at very, very low values. They're going to be fire sales, but every one of these, the the announcement is going to be something about it's improving our AI strategy. It fits into our AI strategy. So it could be an HP buying them, a Cisco buying them, an Oracle buying them, whoever it might be. It's going to be a lot of these, a lot of these uh, unicorns, I suspect. Yeah. Consolidation continues. Yep. Well, listen, man, um, we have been going for a while. Uh, I know you have to, to, to jump to do some day job stuff. Any last minute thoughts for the year? Any last minute thoughts thinking about 2024? Any of those sort of things? Um, I, I think the, the biggest thing for 2024 is watching the consolidation and the optimization on the cloud front, as well as where the AI stuff is ultimately going to go. Because I do think the AI stuff uh, is super early on. And I honestly don't think we've hit, even though ChatGPT and you know chatbots and all these other things has become the primary use case that everyone points to as the example, I don't think that's the business case that enterprises are going to use to make money. Yeah. And so I think you know it will be really interesting to watch AI in the enterprise and in businesses, what is actually going to be the use cases going forward that is that is worth building a business around. I'm not convinced or I've seen anything that I think is happening in that front yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, and things, things change super fast. Things change super fast. I, I think mine, mine is going to be, um, you know, several years back, Gartner came out with something that got kind of panned by the industry, but it was called bimodal IT. And it was the idea that um, there is a bunch of interesting new technologies that are going to allow you to uh, apply technology in new, faster ways, more agile ways for your business, right? Go, you know, build microservices. That was, that was kind of, you know, that was the idea. But you're also going to have to maintain the systems, the sort of legacy or heritage or whatever people want to call them that that run your business, the day-to-day back office stuff. And so they basically said, here's this concept, we're calling it bimodal IT, and essentially said, you're going to have your fast stuff and you're going to have your slow stuff. And it got panned because people said, well, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to bifurcate the people in your organization. You don't want, you don't want to tell them some are new and some are old or some are important or some are not important. I think we're going to see that come back. Um, I think the nuance in that is going to be every business is going to say, look, I, I need to rub some AI on some important business applications I have. And it's going to force everybody who's responsible for the day-to-day operation stuff. So monitoring and networking and you know, software supply chain or whatever to, you know, to sort of be on that same team. So you're going to have the fancy, shiny projects but you're going to have to, to bring along the you know know-how of how to do plumbing and how to do security and how to do all that stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping as people are are thinking about this or they're going, hey, we're starting an AI project, they're not doing you know they're not making the mistakes from before of like we're going to separate this out into its own team, its own set, you know group. They get to make their own rules and then realize like we did five years, six, seven years ago, you can't do that unless the people that that do the infrastructure the the security, the plumbing, the compliance stuff kind of come along with you. So I think we might see a sort of a new, a new rejiggering of that, but sort of, you know, old, something old is new again kind of thing. 
everything comes back around. That's right. That's right. You listen to the show long enough and uh, something from six or seven years ago will come back around. Well, listen, man, I uh, want to thank everybody who, who listens to the show. You know, we, we get a chance to, to be in people's ears for, like we said, 30 minutes, 60 minutes a week. Uh, we are, we are thankful for that. We're thankful for everybody who, you know, gives us some of that, who gives us feedback. Um, we're, we're thankful to, you know, the people that we've met along the way, we've got a chance to, to meet a lot of really interesting people and uh, we don't, we don't take that for granted. So um, next year is year 13, man. Unlu- unlucky number 13. Hopefully it's not unlucky, but uh, it'll be the 13th, I guess 13th year, maybe the 14th year. We started in 2011, but it's a lot of years. We're into our teenage years, if you will. So hopefully uh, not too much, you know, not too much puberty rubs off on the show, but uh, we're going to be going through some, we're going to be going through some growing and that'll be good. Yep. That'll be good. For yep. 2024. It'll be a year for changes as well. You know, not just in the industry, year, but, year but for, for the changes. podcast. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, but also to, too, like I just have to say this real quick too. I'm glad I'm not the only one who can't remember how many years it's been. I know. Well, I never know how to. Count. I get confused I all know. the time. I never remember how you count. Do you count the first year? Or do you just do the math backwards? I don't know. Math is hard. Simple math is hard. All right, folks. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the show. And thanks for you know being part of the Cloudcast community. So for Aaron and I for 2023, we're out. This will be the last show of the year, and we'll be back. Uh, early part of January. So uh, right after the new year, after your hangover uh, has, has ended, your celebrations have ended, we'll be back in uh, new shows for 2024. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.